For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. Today, we chatted with Katie Hunt, founder of Proof to Product. Katie is a business strategist, coach, and mentor to entrepreneurs who create physical products and helps them to get their product on the shelves of retail shops, both small independent and big national chains. Jenny and I speak to a lot of online entrepreneurs, as you know, and while Katie's coaching programs are online, it was really fun and refreshing for us to learn about this alternate universe of physical products. It's not something we discuss a lot. We talked about product development, selling wholesale, trade shows, and scaling for long-term growth. So please enjoy our conversation with the amazing Katie Hunt. Welcome, Katie, to the podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me, Jenny and Sandy. It's great to be here. So Katie, full disclosure, I actually know nothing about product-based businesses. So I'm excited to dive into all of the things. We have a thousand questions for you, but first let's hear about you. Who are you? Where do you live? And what is your business? Yeah. So my name is Katie Hunt. I live in Los Angeles, California. I've been an online business owner for 12 years now, I think it is. I had a stationary brand to begin with. I sold mostly to the wholesale market, also had direct-to-consumer sales channel there, and I had a corporate job. I was doing business development in the corporate world, helping lawyers build brands for themselves and wow. stand out as experts in their area of law. And I had overlap between my stationary brand and this corporate job for a long time. And I looked around in 2011 at my colleagues in the art world, and I thought, you know, I have a lot of business background and knowledge that I love, like that's one of the areas I thrive in, but they're struggling with that. And then I'm struggling with creating my art and having these, you know, amazing products. And that comes easy to them. In 2011, I thought, you know what, let's bring everybody together. Let's do some educational programming around business topics. Let's share what we know, share our resources and tools. And that is when Proof to Product was born. We're an education company for product-based business owners. The core program that we have teaches them how to sell wholesale, which means how to get their products on the shelves of their favorite stores and sell 
through those stores. So that includes smaller independent boutiques that, you know, your friends may own, or you might have in your, your local community. It also includes big box stores like Target and Container Store, J. Crew, and things like that. But yeah, I've been doing that now for over 10 years, teaching them through conferences and courses, and we have a podcast too. So really it's about bringing the business strategy to the creative world so that they can build profitable, sustainable businesses and build that business around the life they want to live so that they can have time with their partners or their kids or for other things that they're interested in too. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Katie, how has the landscape for small product businesses changed over the last decade? It seems like from just the outside, because again, these aren't typically the businesses that we work with, but it seems like there are a lot of really big Instagram accounts in the small product-based business space. But other than that, I'm not sure. Like, Is this a business model that's thriving right now? And what other changes have you seen? Yeah, it is thriving. And over the last 10 years, it's changed so much because technology has changed so much for us, right? All of us, whether we're service or product, we have stronger access to our customers. We have more immediate feedback on the things that we're doing. So in some ways, it's really given us a lot of opportunity. In other ways, just like service-based businesses, it's also created a lot more maybe comparison and doubt and frustration with, I'm not growing fast enough because I'm seeing these people online that look really successful, but we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes in their businesses. So the landscape has changed in terms of the way we're doing business. It's much easier to create product in certain aspects now. Resources are available where you once had to like, you know, sift through a phone book or really, you know, ask around for manufacturing partners. Now a lot more of that information is readily available. So I think certain aspects of running a product-based business have grown easier over the last decade. And then to some of those mental hurdles that we experience as entrepreneurs have grown more difficult. And I would say that's true for both service and product. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm going to jump in because I know Jenny has a thousand questions because she does run a small product-based business. I just want to understand the client. So are these typically women, men, both? We do have some wonderful men in our community and in our programs, but I would say we're about 95% women. They come to us most of the time when it's either just them running the business or it's them with a very small team. Typically where they're at is, you know, they've dabbled in this thing. They started building this product because they had a need or they had an interest in creating it. People started wanting to buy it. So they, you know, most of them fell into business. So Mm -hmm. now they're at this point where it's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to make sure that I'm doing it in the right way and that I have longevity, that I can make a living off of this if I'm not going to work elsewhere. And so that's when we work with them to kind of refine their product line. We refine the sales channels they're selling through. We help them build a team if that's what they need. Everyone is slightly different, but the bulk of the people that come to us are kind of more in that beginning phase and they're looking to either start or they've already kind of started and now they're looking to scale. And is it something that they're making themselves or are they already someone's manufacturing it for them? It's a mix. Most of the time when they first come to us, they're manufacturing it themselves. So I work with a lot of stationary brands because that's where my roots are. However, we also work with people making other gift items. So apparel, candles, baby items, animal pet items, things like that, but, but more smaller scale gift type items. Like not furniture or something. Not furniture, not <laughs> technology, typically computers and things like that. It's it's mostly giftable items for your home, decor, things okay. like that. And most of them do come to us making it themselves. And one of the things we help them 
figure out is, can you scale this? And does this product fit with the business model and the business you want to have? And I've had to have some tough conversations with people about, you really like making this product, but you're one person. If you want to sell wholesale, you need to be able to, you know, what if an order came through for a thousand units of that? Would you cry or would you be happy? Would you be able to get it out the door on time? You know? And so these are things that when we're starting out, we're so excited about what we're creating that we don't really think through the next steps or that next season of growth. And, and I see that too with service providers as well. You know, we get really good at what we're doing, but we don't think about the scalability of it too. Mm-hmm. This rings very true for me because my family runs a small apothecary that we run as a farmer's market business that we started for our little girl when she was five very with cool. her. Yeah, but it's the exact thing. So we figured out, okay, for this business, ideally we're, we're making 5,000 candles a year, plus like all the other stuff that we make. Right. And like, do I really want like the shipping of all of the candle jars coming to like for 5,000 jars coming to my front porch? Because right. like, what does that mean for my house and my life? and my family. And we've had moments where like, you can't even like walk through the hallway because it's filled with raw materials and like yes, hundred pound boxes of wax and all the other stuff that we have. So what happens in that case? Like, what is that next step for that transition? Cause it's also really scary for those of us with these kinds of businesses, because outsourcing anything cuts into our profit margins, even having yeah. an, a place outside of our homes to do the work cuts into our profit margins. So how do you work with clients on this? I look at what do you personally need to make in your business? Like how much money do you need to pay your bills and to live the life you want to live? And then we look at the business expenses. What does the business need to operate in a larger capacity, right? Like even if we don't have team members, what would that look like to bring on team members? Even if we don't have an outside studio space, what would that look like? What kind of budget will we need to allow? Mm -hmm. And then we combine those two things, right? And we say, okay, here, if my personal expenses are covered, the business expenses are covered, that's kind of the bare minimum of what we need to make every month. Now, obviously we want to shoot higher than that. So we've got margin to do other things and growth, but like that's our bare minimum. So then that's when I start to look at, business models with people. And I say, okay, so you're doing farmer's markets and things like that. Is that channel meeting this financial goal that we've now set for ourselves? If so, fantastic. What else could we do to optimize that? Reduce expenses, increase revenue, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at those numbers is going to give you the confidence to you know, make that jump, whether it's hiring or moving everything outside of the business. But until we look at the numbers, we don't know. It just feels like this big, scary thing of, I don't want these boxes lining my hallway. And I've also been in that situation (laughs) with boxes everywhere. And I took over my dad's garage and, you know, all these things. But so I start with the numbers and then we look at the business model. If what you're doing currently selling direct to consumer or wholesale or custom work or licensing, if that's helping you meet your goals already, then we see what can we do within that sales channel to enhance it, Mm -hmm. to give you more profit. One thing might be working, but maybe they haven't optimized it yet. And they say, well, let me try this whole other thing. Let me try wholesale on top of this. Well, wholesale is a totally different market. Yeah. It's a totally different sales strategy and marketing strategy. And when you split your time like that, you're going to not be as strong in either area, right? So that's where we look at the business model and say, do we just dive deeper into what we're already doing? Do we add another revenue stream or sales channel to this? Does that make sense? But it all, again, filters back to the numbers because if the numbers are there and we have the numbers to then continue that growth and hire people or move outside, like that enables you to grow as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, as the leader of your company too. Mm -hmm. 
it looks like your program really focuses and your teaching really focuses on wholesale as a channel. And I'm just wondering if you could give a quick comparison between wholesale versus like having your own online shop, like a Shopify store versus using marketplace channels like Etsy. And how do you help people figure out where is best for them to be optimizing? Wholesale, for those that aren't familiar, is selling your products to a third party who then sells it to the direct consumer. So I would sell my products to, for example, Target, and then Target would turn around and sell it to your listener. You know, Direct to consumer online is where I'm on my Shopify site or whatever it is, and I'm selling the customers coming to my website and purchasing something like Etsy or these third parties. Again, people are going there and they're just purchasing through that. One thing that I see in terms of where they should place their focus, some of that's based on past data of what's yeah. what's working already. Let's lean into that more. Some of that is based on goals for what they want out of this business. And two, you have to leave room to play and to figure this out because you may say you want to do wholesale, but then you may get into wholesale and say, oh no, this is not what I want to be, how I want to be spending my days. It's not how I want to be selling my product. And so part of the program that we teach is kind of explaining what these different sales channels look like and what they entail so that people can make an informed decision of, okay, I do feel confident trying that out and seeing what it does. But ultimately it's going to be an individual decision that we have to, when I work one-on-one with clients, we look at what's working already, what's not working, where do they have the biggest audience already and how are they nurturing that audience? But I don't immediately jump to, let's just slap another revenue stream here and like try something else. I I usually want to see, let's optimize what we're already doing Mm -hmm. and then see what else we might want to add. And sometimes it's removing things. Mm -hmm. I've actually had clients that started on Etsy, moved to a Shopify site, both of these direct to consumer, and then they went back to Etsy because Mm -hmm. they liked that Etsy did a lot of the marketing and had the SEO and all of that. And so again, that's one client, but that might not work for another too. So I hope I answered your question there. Yeah, that's great. I want to know about the fears. Like, tell me about the the individual person who's like, I've got this thing. I love making this thing. This is my passion. This is my life. And I want to go bigger. I want to scale. I really, really do, Katie. And then you're like, here it is. Here's the steps. And they're like, oh my God, I can't do that. Or does that happen? Maybe I've made an assumption there. (laughs) Oh, it happens. No, it happens to all of us. It happens on the service side and the product side. I think... We grow comfortable with what we're doing sometimes, and we hold ourselves back at times. The fears are real around the financials of running a product-based business. It is very different from a service-based business in that you do have higher overhead and higher expenses. You have raw materials and inventory that you have to manage and maintain. We actually had a conversation in my labs community recently about, I feel like I'm constantly just putting money back into the business. When do I give my, (laughs) yes, Jenny's like, yes, nodding her head. Her question was more along the lines of when do I pull more money out to pay myself more for the things I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about a strategy for that. But my point is the fears are around how much time I'm committing to this the money involved in it. How much do I give myself versus how much do I put back in the business? Can I really make this work? Can I make a living off of doing this thing that I love? I think a lot of people too, at different points, even seasoned product-based business owners think, is this more of a hobby or is this something that can be a sustainable business? And you know, everyone's going to have their own thoughts on that based on their own personal circumstances. But those, Sandy, are some of the fears that I hear from people. 
the product world is a slow grow too. You know, there's a lot of marketing and sales strategies that need to be implemented, but the very first thing you need to focus on is your product. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a product that solves a problem and that meets a need for somebody, it's going to be a tough thing to sell and market. So no matter how much you do on the sales and marketing side, it won't necessarily work. So can I dig into one of these fears? Because I am one of these people. What happens for me and my family whenever, because we put zero energy into sales and marketing. We show up in our town, Village Green, once a week in the summer. And then we are lucky enough to have a product that people fall in love with and then reorder through the course of the year. And we managed to have a handful of, of great wholesale accounts. But every time we've tried to like take it a little farther, like, actually, this is really amazing. We're so proud of this. Yeah. We start to fall out of love with it because it becomes it's not like a passion project anymore. And it's not this artistic craft. It really becomes more like a slog of a business. And so how do you navigate that with people? Because this has turned into something that they did, I think for the most part for pleasure, and then it becomes a job. Yeah. And I feel like people go two different roads when they're in this situation. Mm -hmm. First of all, I think it's a huge mindset thing that we need to be discussing more in our industry of what this feels like and where you get to this plateau of growth in a way. And how do I keep the fun instilled in what I'm doing Mm -hmm. while still building a profitable business? It's not always just about the money. It's about the sustaining of the business. It's about making sure our family is taken care of. It's about making sure our team is taken care of. And, you know, growth doesn't have to be this empire. It can be just a slow, small team that does good work. But to your point, I feel like people kind of divert into two different directions. That's where they either feel burned out and they decide to close their doors because they want to play a little more than they want to hustle. And that's a totally fine decision for them to make if that's what they want to make. On the other side, there's people that think, on the other side, the people that sustain are the ones that think, okay, I'm going to treat this like a business. I'm going to invest in it in a different way and approach it with a different mindset as a business owner, rather than me making the fun you know, candles or whatever I'm making, I'm going to approach it, but it does take the fun out of it. So then what I go to is like, well, okay, how can we keep some of the fun, but also have you treat it as a business? And that's where we then look at team. We look at systems and processes, ways to make some of that businessy stuff that people don't enjoy as much more digestible, more systematic so that it doesn't feel like such a drain on your energy and your creativity too. So I think first is mindset. Second, it's like systems and infrastructure within the business. How can you push yourself into more of the fun things that you enjoy doing and maybe pull some of the other things off your plate? And yeah, that's the divergent really when I see that. What about manufacturing? Like, do you help them set up manufacturing and where does that happen? Yeah. You know, most people come to us, they already know what they want to make Mm -hmm. and they're struggling a little bit with how to Mm -hmm. make it. Everyone has different needs around this though. You know, some people really want to do it domestically in whatever country they're in. Some people want to go overseas and produce things in a very large quantity. Part of that depends on their goals too. Are they wanting to work with large stores and large accounts that are going to order in high volume? Do they want to keep it handmade and smaller scale. So we do have a vendor directory with a whole bunch of different manufacturing partners that our communities Mm -hmm. worked with for a wide range of products. But ultimately we tell them what to look for and questions and things to ask, but ultimately they're the ones kind of sourcing their own. And it it depends on so many factors too. You know, somebody on the East coast will want to work with somebody on the East coast for shipping and other logistics and, you know, or it just depends on goals too. So we, we do provide resources there, but we don't actually walk them through that process or do any matchmaking 
with manufacturers. Yeah, I can imagine. I used to own a, a shoe store. And so everything was manufactured off shore. And there was always problems with yeah. shipping and containers and ports. And oh, I swore I'd sold that business. And I swore I would never touch anything with inventory. Poor <laughs> Jenny. She's like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm like, okay, good luck. The money in inventory. I can't. Yeah. I, nope. Never again will I, will I do this. I won't even let her buy t-shirts for our current company, because that's like money and inventory that we have to then sell. I'm seeing a lot of service-based businesses that want to get into product, but they're entering it blindly. Like you're talking about, Sandy, they don't realize what the inventory and all of that. Sizing? Oh, mm-hmm. God. I will say though, print on demand. Nope, Jenny. No, no, Jenny. No. Well, it just cuts into your margins though, right? Like that's it does. a hard thing. It's like, you don't make any money off of that unless you're at huge volume. Yes. The print on demand, the margins are much smaller, but for service-based businesses that want to dip their foot into yeah. the product water, that's a really good way. It's all automated. And yes, the margins are much slimmer, but if it's a secondary revenue stream for a service-based business, it makes a lot of sense. Or I do recommend it for product-based businesses that want to test out a new mm-hmm. product category. Mm-hmm. Because it's low risk financially, but it'll give them a chance to talk about it publicly. And if people want to buy it, they can do it through the print on demand. And then if they see that there's a there is a demand for it, they can order it from a different manufacturer in larger quantities. But print on demand is really the abilities, the integrations, the types of products have really expanded over the last few years, which has been nice for different types of business models. Yeah, that is good. That's the only thing I will agree to is print on demand. And and she still hasn't quite got me there. But yeah, that's the only option that we will consider. But okay, one last question for me is around TikTok. Yeah. I would love to know. So actually, I saw one of your recent podcast guests was talking about TikTok. We're exploring that as a marketing channel for ourselves. And I just would love to hear what you're hearing from your clients and using that platform to sell products. Yeah, so I started experimenting with TikTok last summer more as a consumer. And then I started experimenting with different types of not dancing posts, but more like (laughs) educational posts and things like that. And I started with my higher end coaching clients telling them, I want you guys, like, if you have the bandwidth, I want you to start playing with this and seeing what happens. They have grown their following. They've increased their traffic to their website every month. They've increased their average order value in their carts. They've increased the number of sales month over month that they've been on this. Now, it takes a while to get into, and obviously not everyone's comfortable lip syncing and dancing, and those are not the only two ways to use TikTok. For product-based businesses, I'm reminding them to like put the products on the table and show different types of SKUs, or you can do some kind of stop motion type stuff or show behind the scenes of you pulling stuff off the shelf and packing an order. Do TikToks that highlight different stores that you work with or different customers, testimonials that they've submitted. Maybe show a map where all your products have gone to and how far and wide your products have reached. Like do things that you would enjoy seeing on there But the people that are leveraging it and actually putting in some time and effort to creating the videos, they are seeing great reward from it. Is this sustainable? I don't know. With Instagram changing to be more of a video platform, you can, you know, use those videos on both platforms. Time will tell how that all pans out. I know it is a lot of work to create these videos. I think too, people are putting a lot of pressure on themselves to be really innovative and creative. And sometimes... I just went on a road trip with my family and I read a bunch of books. So I just took a video of me tossing the books on the table and put it to music, put that on reels and put it on TikTok. And that's fine. 
I guess my advice on TikTok is, yes, I think it's worth exploring for different types of businesses, but be mindful of how much time you're investing in it and be sure to look at the analytics to see if that time and effort is truly turning into sales or, you know, growth in terms of your visitors to your website and things like that. It's not just about the followers, it's about the conversions and it's about how that's affecting the overall brand. And then to keep it simple, like don't feel like you have to have a whole production team and, you know, daily TikToks and things like that. Keep it simple. Yeah. Orchestrating like a K-pop dance routine for your, yeah. your planner product. Like it's actually really wild how much of a time suck that whole video marketing channel is. And I think we're studying it as, you know, people who teach online marketing and, and yeah. also people who are marketing our own products and services. And it's just, wow, out of everything that's come along since we've been in business, this one feels like it does seem like the reward is really, can be really big, but it's yeah. also like such a time suck. It's such a time suck. Yeah. And two, I will say like, you know, I started experiments and I'm not an expert in this. I'm just sharing my own experiences yeah. here. But like, you know, I started experimenting last summer when it was real, like unpolished and unfinished and people could just show up as they were. And now it's definitely kind of got more of the Instagram vibe of things are more polished and people are, you know, hair's done, makeup's on and, you know, which is fine. But I also think the allure of TikTok was that it was everyday people talking about everyday things. And it's not yeah. just business, it's recipes and travel stuff and all sorts, you know, kids getting stuff. catfished. <laughs> yes, exactly. Those are the best. Those are the best ones. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I tried the feta pasta, you know, last <laughs> yeah. summer. It was delicious. So, you know, there's things like that. But I do think we just need to be mindful. I will say, it reminds me of when Instagram started not to make myself sound old, but like it reminds me of when Instagram started and everyone moved from like a Twitter type platform that wasn't visual to Instagram where they could show their, at least in our world, they could show their products mm -hmm. and their beautiful photography that was just mainly on their website at that point. And so now this feels like an elevated level of that where it's just video format. And mm -hmm. I think video has been in this uptick for a long time now, and now it's more of a mainstream thing. And I think we need to find a way to kind of integrate it, but do it in a way that's meaningful and keeps our audience in mind. And also that we are looking at the results of it. And if it's not working, then it's okay to cut it too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's my thought at least. Nope, totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Well, Katie, we end every episode by asking our guests to share a joy and a hustle. So I'd love to know what's bringing you joy in your life right now. And what is a tool that you recommend for our listeners to help them hustle in their career or business? So my family and I just returned from a 22 day road wow. trip. Wow. We bought a pop-up camper and we got in our car and we went to eight different states, mainly keeping our bubble really tight because <laughs> I yeah. have four children that are not vaccinated. We went camping. We met our two new nephews in Colorado who were born mm -hmm. during the pandemic. We spent a lot of outdoor time and we spent a lot of really quality family time where my husband and I weren't working the kids weren't on online school. So that trip, I'm still coming off the high of that trip. That brought me a lot of joy in that one, we were able to spend time together as a family Two, I was able to step out of my business for three weeks and everything went smoothly. And to know that that's an option going forward, Amazing. it was really incredible. And two, my clients felt supported and taken care of. So there were you know, it felt like all around it brought me a lot of joy, but everyone else too. So that's what brought me joy in terms of the hustle. This may be a tool that others have mentioned in the past, but I really rely heavily on Voxer. Mm -hmm. Are you guys familiar yeah. with Voxer? Yes. Do you yes. use Voxer? Okay. Yep. 
Yeah. So I use Voxer to connect with colleagues. I use it to connect with a lot of my coaching clients. And I love how easy it's a walkie for those that aren't familiar. It's a walkie talkie app. So you can have kind of back and forth real-time conversations. You can also text messages or send images and things like that. And it's just, it's really been my lifeline through the pandemic other than Zoom calls and stuff to be able to connect with colleagues and clients. And so that's something that has made my work and the personal side of my business life easier too. Yeah, we love Voxer. I think it's an underused tool. We don't hear all that many people talk about it, but it's great for coaching clients. So yeah, I love that you yes. that you mentioned that. So all right, Katie, this has been amazing. Thank you for all your advice and your knowledge and your wisdom. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Yes. Thank you, Sandy and Jenny, for having me. Everyone can find me at proofdeproduct.com on social media. I'm at proofdeproduct everywhere. And then we have a podcast as well. It is mainly geared towards product-based business owners, but we talk about a lot of the operations side of running our businesses. So we do have a lot of service provider listeners and you can find that on our website there at proofdeproduct.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts, just search up proofdeproduct. TikTok is at Proof to product. Yes. <laughs> At proof to product there too. I'm not as active. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say about TikTok. Like I got fatigued. Like uh-huh. I explored, yeah. I experimented and then yeah. I got fatigued and I'm like, okay, I need to take a time out. And so, you know, now I'm kind of getting a little more energy with ideas and things. Okay. Maybe we'll try this again. So anyhow, we yes, I'm not TikTok no too. <laughs> oh no, no, just, I just want people to know, like, it's okay to pace yourself too. You don't have to Eight have something, something once a week. Yeah. Or- yeah. 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 So, well, Sandy and Jenny, thank you so much for having me. This was a real pleasure. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for your time. Hey, before you go, if you enjoy listening to our podcast and you know that your future involves teaching or coaching online, check out our Inner Circle experience. It's where we take these concepts women in business, money, online business strategy, mindset, feminism, and help our clients take their expertise and transition it to an online offering. It's a one year program with high touch strategy and mindset coaching, online business courses, and the best community on the internet. To apply, head over to theinnercircle.works, fill out our short two-minute application, and if we believe you're a great fit, you'll receive access to a private advanced training on creating a profitable online business and all the program details. Go to theinnercircle.works to learn more.